Welcome to Mid-Century Living, your weekly podcast about everything mid-century and how to bring the best of the mid-century to your everyday lives. Welcome to Mid-Century Living, the show where we talk all about the best of the mid-20th century and how to bring the vintage vibe to your everyday life. We're your hosts, Jackie. And Gonzalo. Whoa. Sorry, that just felt natural. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. So, Jackie, it's been a couple of weeks since we record. <laughs> so, Jackie, how was your week? So, this is coming out on December 8th, which means I am probably shopping for Christmas presents and sewing up a storm. So, my goals this year is to finally finish this Christmas apron that I cut out two years ago. So um, learning to sew is interesting because it takes a lot longer than you think that it will to complete a project. So I had this great idea three years ago to make me and my mom and my sister matching Christmas aprons. Oh, that's cool. And so far I've been able to accomplish one a year. Oh. Mainly because I keep sewing other stuff the rest of the year, and then I'm like, it's December, time to sew these aprons, and then it ends up taking me like a week and a half to finish one of them, and then uh, it's Christmas. So, <laughs> also, because I'm me, I picked the most complicated apron patterns ever, because I, I got this like 1940s super complicated fully lined apron that comes in like four different versions. And me and my sister and my mom all picked out different versions. Like my mom got the whole like full one piece apron and my sister picked out like a little half apron with the little optional top that folds down. And then I just wanted a half apron with a pocket. And so I cut them all out that first year, but my mom got hers two years ago. My sister got hers last year. And this year I'm going to finally finish mine. And now all three of us will have matching aprons. It just took a while. Aww. So my main goal for December is to do that. And then I also have this um, really adorable, kitschy Christmas deer fabric I got at Joann's that I've been meaning to make a dress out of. So I'm probably going to try to get that done before Christmas. So Very nice. That is what I will be doing in December. Last year, I, get, I gave my dad for Christmas a hand-knitted hat, like a beanie. But I didn't start it because I kept pushing it off. I was like, oh, I can do this real quickly. I can do this real quickly. And I kept pushing it off, pushing it off. And then it was the week before Christmas. Yep. So I'm like frantically trying to like knit, knit, knit this hat so that I can finish <laughs> it in time. And I'm pretty sure I finished it on the 24th. Yep. Yep. So, <laughs> but, but so yeah. sewing takes a long time. Handmade projects need to be done in June. And that's the answer. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's a lesson learned. Yes. So uh, now that we're all caught up, <laughs> are we? I think so. Or did you have more stuff you wanted to contribute? Yeah, you're right. That was just me, really. And then you <laughs> commenting on me. So <laughs> now that everyone knows about me, let's hear about you. What are you doing lately? <laughs> <laughs> so actually, I don't have anything interesting apart from for me. But I have been reading this book called A History of the World in Six Glasses. And it is actually really good. It is the history of the world in as told through beverages Neat. yes so uh from the back cover it says uh beer wine spirits coffee tea and coca-cola these six beverages turn out to be much more than just ways to quench thirst they also represent six eras that span the course of civilization from adoption of agriculture to the birth of cities 
to the advent of globalization. A History of the World in Six Glasses tells the story of humanity from the Stone Age to the 21st century through each epoch's signature refreshment. And it's so, so far, I'm only in beer, which is like Mesopotamia, Sumeria, so early civilizations. But as a history teacher, uh, this was recommended to me by another history teacher. And I started it a long time ago, and I haven't been able to like pick it up again, but I recently did. Cool. And I'm about to, to move on from beer to wine. I forgot which all the other ones are as far as like which eras are they are. But beer is the first, then it moves to wine. And I think after that, it goes to tea with the exploration, a European exploration. I figure tea, so. oh, because, yeah, I figure tea would probably be the oldest, but who knows? Well, you'll know. No, beer. When you're, yeah, that's so interesting that beer was the oldest. I figured it would have been like tea, wine, beer. No, because beer was, uh, and even before the book, I knew this, beer was much healthier than drinking water. Because we couldn't filter water before we knew how, and that is how people got sick. But beer, because of the way you make it, didn't have all the bacteria that make you sick when you drink water. Huh. Uh, yeah, so people would drink beer. Fascinating. But that's my week. Well, good luck on finishing that. Because I've been traveling for a couple of weekends by the time <laughs> it's released. So I've been reading the book a lot while I travel. Well, neat. I can't wait to hear what you've learned. Coca-Cola is probably the end, right? Does it end in the... 15? No, I believe coffee is the last one. No way. Um, oh, no, Coca-Cola, yes. So, beer in Mesopotamia and Egypt, wine in Greece and Rome, spirits in the colonial period, coffee in the age of reason, tea and the British Empire, and Coca-Cola and the rise of America. Intriguing. Yeah. Well, so, I have a feeling fun. that the Coca-Cola will be something that we can talk about in a... Future episode. In future episodes. Yeah, that could be fun. So, yes. So how about we talk a little bit about what we're talking about today, now that yeah. we've wasted everyone's time talking about <laughs> us. It's not a waste. People love the chatter. True. But anyway, today's episode is the first of hopefully many deep dives into specific collector's items that are really popular among mid-century enthusiasts. So some of these episodes might be on highly sought after holy grail items, but I thought it would also be fun to look into the history of really common items that everyone owns and everyone loves. And this is one of those episodes. So today we're talking about the West Bend Penguin Hot and Cold Server, also known as the Penguin Ice Bucket. <laughs> and what you guys can't see because you're listening to us uh, is that she just held up her Penguin Ice Bucket. And smiled. In front of the camera. I love smiled. it. It's so cute. Um... So, <laughs> Penguin Ice Bucket, I'm interested. <laughs> so before we get into the history of the adorable bucket itself. I wanted to share some history on the West Bend Aluminum Company. Um, so it was founded in September 1911. The first products were saucepans, a frying pan, a pie pan, and a water dipper, which I had to Google. Basically, in the early 1900s, when there was no running water, it was common for everyone to drink directly from a water bucket that was like the drinking water bucket, and you use something called a water dipper to ladle that water into your mouth. It's basically a ladle. Wait, did everyone have their own water dipper? Like, yeah. it was like dad's water dipper and then like mom's water dipper would be pink. Nope, they shared the water dipper. It was very unsanitary and was pretty much over with by the 20s, so. Interesting, you would think that they would at least use it to like pour it into a cup and then drink from the cup. 
Nope. They drink straight, straight out of the water dipper. But the West Bend of Aluminum Company made one out of aluminum for people to use. But um, that was the early times. By the 20s, they started getting a lot more advanced. And their first really big commercial success was a waterless cooker, which is basically a crock pot that they invented in 1921. It became one of the company's best sellers. And by 1941, sales reached over 6 million. And the waterless cooker's popularity led to the development of a complete line of waterless heavy-gauge cookware called Flavoseal. And they just don't make names of lines of kitchenware like that anymore. I feel like I've heard of Flavoseal. Really? Yeah, it sounds it sounds familiar. Well, it was all very cool and exciting. And this was 1941, though. And then World War II happens and aluminum was pretty restricted back then so they switched to supplying war materials for the, for the military and didn't transition back into the civilian market until 1945 following world war ii west bend worked hard to meet the new modern family's demand for home appliances and cookware um, and came out with teflon coated pans the party perk automatic coffee percolator and the penguin hot and cold server which is what today's episode is inspired by we should do an episode on the percolator because it is really cool looking. Yeah, uh, we should probably do a whole episode on just percolators in general, because there's a lot of really cool ones from back then. Yes. Uh, and we could probably cover a lot of them. That would be fun. Yeah. It'll be part of our uh, <laughs> kitchen appliance suite. <laughs> yes, it'll be part of that. So all this cool stuff is happening with kitchenware, and by 1961, the company just decided to drop aluminum from its name to reflect its use of stainless steel and other materials. And this company was so big and popular and substantial in America that um, Wisconsin's really, really proud of them. Uh, and they actually have a historical marker honoring the West Bend Aluminum Company that was erected in 2013 by Wisconsin's Historical Society over at the location of their first warehouse. Oh, that's cool. Hey, Wisconsinites. <laughs> Shout out to Wisconsin. We love your cheese. Yeah, if you live near this, uh, send us a picture because that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, what is the West Bend Penguin Hot and Cold Server? <laughs> so the Penguin Server was invented in 1941 by an inventor named Rolf N. Kirscher. Um, the patent was filed in 1941 and was issued in 1944. So basically, the ice bucket is shaped almost like a complete sphere, but it, the bottom is flat so it can stand up. And it has a round knob on the top to remove and close the lid. And it's got little handles on the sides that point down like penguin wings. In the earliest versions, the knob and the handles were made out of Bakelite, but later versions used wood. My The version that I have has wood handles. The interior is stainless steel, and the exterior came in either chrome-plated or copper-plated steel. Uh, the inner container has a two-quart capacity, and how it works is that the there's an inner container that's like a two-quart cylinder, and it doesn't make any contact with the outer shell, even at the bottom. Um, they call the separation the air chamber, and that is what they credit with providing hours of service at an even temperature. Hmm. Interesting. I've got all this information on the design, and I've even read the patent and six articles on the subject, but I cannot find the significance of the penguin design on the outside of this thing. While adorable, I, I just, no one explained why. So if anyone knows, 
why there are penguins on the outside of this bucket, please DM us on Instagram at NPL podcast <laughs> or send an email to info.npliving yes. because I really, I love them. I just, I don't know why they're there. Um, Let us know. <laughs> so listeners, if you uh, are trying to picture this in your brains and you want to see what it looks like, maybe we can put it up on Instagram, but the penguin uh, that Jackie's describing on the outside it's actually a series of penguins that are, um, it looks like walking along the edge of the sphere that is the bowl. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like a, like embossed penguins around the circumference of the ice bucket. Yes, and they, but they do look really cool. But yes, I wonder why, why they're there and why <laughs> no one knows. Yeah. You, you would think that even at the very least a patent would explain why there's penguins there. They didn't explain the logic behind the design. Well, they explained the logic behind the functionality of the design, but not the aesthetics of the design. But okay. Anyway, so usage. The penguin server keeps ice cubes firm for four to six hours or hot food at serving temperature, quote unquote, for one to two hours. Uh, you can preheat your penguin server by filling the inside with hot water until the outer shell is warm. Um, it's not necessary to pre-chill if you're using it as an ice bucket, but you can pre-chill your server by filling it with ice water for 15 minutes before filling it with your cold dessert. Uh, the brochure that this came with recommends using two or three ice buckets at once at parties, each containing different foods. Hmm. Um, also, if you're going to travel with it to bring something to someone's house to a potluck or something, they recommend wrapping a large rubber band around each handle and twisting it on either side of the knob at the top to keep the lid in place. Oh, that's smart. So I have used mine for both hot and cold scenarios. Um, for I've, I use it to keep biscuits warm when I do Thanksgiving and anything where I need like hot rolls present on the table. It actually does a really great job for that. And I've also used it to bring a cold dessert to a work potluck. I made Watergate salad one year. Um, we were doing a green potluck for St. Patrick's Day, so I made Watergate salad, which some people know as pistachio fluff, and I brought it to work in my penguin server, and it stayed cold and delicious for most of the potluck, or pretty much the whole day. I just kind of left it out there all day, actually, honestly. <laughs> Interesting. I love the idea of, of a kitchen appliance slash utensil that is functional still through today. But also, it's quirky because, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, I'm sure that whenever you went to the office for your potluck and people saw it, they were like, ooh, this is interesting. Why are there penguins? <laughs> I think they were um, just like, ah, that's what Jackie brought. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I really wish we had Benedict Cumberbatch as a guest in our show because I don't know if you're aware of his inability to say the word penguin. No. Uh, but he, oh, so he, Benedict, if you're listening, uh, we're on first name terms, uh, but no, uh, there's this video of the, of the poor guy. He was, uh, narrating a nature show and there happened to be penguins and he was like, and here is a penguin. And then the next sentence, he's like, he, he mispronounced penguin and called it like a penguin or something like that. And like the next time he, it was uh, even further off. So like every time he said the word penguin, it was not correct, but different also. Weird. So. That must have been a bit. Yeah. No, I, I. he's been interviewed about it. Apparently, it, it wasn't a bit. Mm. Uh, it's just a very weird word to say. And now that we've been saying it for a, for a few minutes, penguin is kind of weird. 
<laughs> but uh, Benedict, uh, Mr. Cumberbatch, if you may, if you're listening, shoot us a DM. Come on our show. <laughs> Come on the pod. <laughs> so uh, getting to the impact of the ice bucket on present day. So this particular item is famous around collectors of mid-century kitchenware just because it's super useful and adorable. Um, and also a lot of people, I think, inherited it from their parents or grew up using it a lot at home. They're all over the place. You can find them at thrift shops and antique malls all the time for under $30. There's really expensive ones on the internet, but honestly, if you're just patient, you'll, you'll come across one at an antique mall or a thrift store soon enough. Sometimes listings and collectors display this piece with a penguin cocktail shaker. But that is not an official accessory. This ice bucket slash server never had any official accessories. And the penguin shaker in particular, usually they're actually from the 1930s or they were made by Restoration Hardware in the 90s. So while it looks really cute on display, if you were trying to be period accurate, um, that is not related to the penguin server. Penguin cocktail shaker. What is... Oh, it's like they're... So uh, a brand... A company called Napier Co. made in the 30s made a series of cocktail shakers that are shaped like penguins and you pour the liquids out of their beaks. Oh, I see it. And it looks really good on a bar cart next to the penguin server. So if you're gonna if you're just trying to make something fancy looking and penguin themed, they do look really nice together, but they're not officially uh, interesting. But and another uh, present day fun fact is. If anyone watched Good Eats on the Food Network, um, Alton Brown has a few of them in his kitchen set that that show takes place in. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like I can see this being a decoration piece in people's kitchens. Like if you collect them, you got like two or three of them, like on a high shelf, you have your penguin uh, buckets there. I actually have three ice buckets three vintage ice buckets that are kind of for display but then i also take them down from the cabinet to use them if i need to use them for an ice bucket which is why when i was telling you that i wanted to get this down for recording i needed to get the step stool out because they live <laughs> they live high up when i'm not using them but um i never use ice buckets if i need ice for like drinks first of all i i, I if i drink i drink whiskey and i use one of the big cubes but if I've got, you know, friends over, never. But uh, if I have friends over uh, and they need ice, the, the fridge, the freezer combo is not a far walk. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I feel like it's better suited. Ice buckets in general are better suited for like a make your own drink bar set up at an event. But mm -hmm. I keep calling it an ice bucket because that's just what everyone calls them. And that's how it's reference most frequently but uh calling it an ice bucket is belittling it because it is hot and cold and honestly i use it mostly for keeping biscuits warm uh i have actually never used it for ice interesting <laughs> uh so since we have successfully said the word penguin at least 14 <laughs> times in the last <laughs> sentence um i think it's time we dive into our etiquette segment for the week jackie what do we have today I get it. <laughs> yes, I worked hard on that transition. <laughs> that was a very good transition. Um, so since we've been talking about a serving dish, I thought it would be fun to share some etiquette for hosting a buffet-style dinner party. 
Um, so all of this is from Betty Crocker's Hostess Cookbook from 1967. So if you are hosting a buffet-style dinner party to set up the buffet table, you begin at one end of the table with plates and then move on in order to meat or main dish, vegetables, salad, breads, condiments, silver, and finally, napkins. If you have a large crowd, you put the buffet table in the center of the room and you duplicate service on both sides so that two lines of guests may serve themselves, but mostly um, setting up a buffet table, it's usually on some sort of sideboard in on one side of the room. For a sit-down buffet, uh, the dining room table is set just as it would be for a sit-down dinner, except for the plates and the food are all on the sideboard or serving table where the buffet is. And then they she comes up with this which I've never heard of, a card table buffet, which is when you use the dining room table as the buffet table, and then you set up card tables in the living room or on the patio, and that's where the silverware and the glasses and the napkins are for eating, and salt and pepper shakers on each table, and then they just come over to the dining room table to serve themselves, and then they go sit on the little tables you put out. Oh, so that's kind of like a buffet that you would go to at like a restaurant, or if you go to a banquet, there's a buffet. Yeah, I think it's a lot more doable because I don't know a lot of people anyway, or I know I personally wouldn't be able to have like an entirely empty sideboard plus a table for dining at the same time. I like it's more likely for me that I could prop up temporary tables for eating and then just use the dining room table, dining table as the part of the show. Yeah, I've never had a buffet set up in my house. My parents have a sideboard in the foyer, which they never use for food. But when they do have, when they entertain, which is more often than I do, <laughs> they will set up their buffet food stuffs in the kitchen island. They have a fairly sizable kitchen island. Like we're talking like four feet wide, eight feet deep, nice. like a kitchen island. And you can put a lot of food there, but because it's an island, people can w start on one side and walk around the island. And then they have a plate full of food. And at the very, like the way their kitchen is set up, if you start on the left side and you walk around the island, you end up where the fridge is, uh, which is where you can put beverages. And then they use their dining room table in the dining room and in the daily dining room as seating area. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So a couple more etiquette details that uh, Betty Crocker threw in that uh, even though the guests serve themselves, Water is served by the hostess who pours from a pitcher after the guests have been seated. And this is mm. to cut down on spills. And the hostess must also keep an eye on the buffet table, refilling serving dishes as the need arises. And just before guests have finished, the hostess is responsible for clearing the buffet and arranging the dessert plates and silver on the table. And after the guests are through, the hostess pours the coffee as well. Interesting. So what do you think? Uh, I mean, I fully support entertaining. Um, and while I do like having a like for, more formal sit down dinner type things at my house, just because that way I get to dress up at the table and stuff. I do like the idea of the help yourself kind of situation. But like you, I don't have a lot of space in my house where I could have like, here's a buffet. Like if I did that, I would have to use one of the kitchen counters. Mm -hmm. um and it's not very big so like i can fit like maybe three plate like three like serving size plates serving dishes i guess or i could serve i could probably fit based on the size of the penguin ice and hot 
serving dish, I could probably fit a good six of those in that kitchen counter. <laughs> Maybe I should have some guests over. Yes. <laughs> but I do I do like it. I would agree. I, I would give this my vote for the stamp of approval. I totally agree. I think this is really doable for home cooks these days if you don't have a lot of practice entertaining and you're not super brushed up on how to set a table or uh, if you don't have someone serving your guests. Uh, this is way lower maintenance if you can clear off a table and a sideboard. But I even kind of like the card table idea. So yeah, I totally, I like all of this. Sounds good. You heard it here first, listeners. Go home, clear out your your side table, sideboard, uh, and then host a buffet. Yay. Yeah. And with that, it looks like we have landed the plane for our episode today. So thank you guys for listening today. If you want to get in touch, send us an email at info.mcliving at gmail.com. You can send us comments, edits, and even future show ideas. Uh, also, please make sure to write a review for our podcasts. It let us, lets us know how we're doing and helps us stand out in the world of podcasting. And uh, with that, we'll see you guys next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Mid-Century Living. Please subscribe, tell your friends, and leave a review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at MCL Podcast. See you next Friday.